You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Abby. And I'm Sarah. Today we are going to talk about getting outside with our families. But first, let's catch up on life lately. What's new with you, Abby? I want to share about some DIY car repairs that we've been doing. Mm, Love it. We have a 2005 Honda Civic, which we love. It's a great car, gets great gas mileage, super reliable, but... As it's 13 years old this year, some things are starting to kind of fall apart. So the first thing was that the headlights had gotten all cloudy. Mm -hmm. And that is pretty common in old cars. Like if you look around as you're walking or in a parking lot or something, you'll see lots of cloudy headlights. And I just thought that that was something that we couldn't fix and that it just was what it was or we were going to have to get the whole headlight replaced or something like that. But it turns out that there is a kit that you can buy to restore the UV coating. Hmm. And Andrew did it, and our headlights look amazing. Awesome. It has made such a huge difference in our visibility driving at night. Mm. And it was such a cheap fix, you know, and took him a couple hours, I think. Very satisfying. Yes. And then our AC was not running super well, and we read online that that could be because the cabin air filter was dirty. And Andrew replaced those this weekend. Another amazing before and after the clean filter and the dirty filter side by side. And now the AC is running very well, which is awesome as we head into summer. And then the last thing is that the little door jam switch that tells the car whether the driver's side door is open or closed. The pin that goes into the door to touch the sensor had broken off, I think, from the seatbelt getting closed in the door. Mm. And so sometimes as you're driving, the car all of a sudden thinks that the door is open and starts dinging. I was wondering, I was like, hmm, I wonder why that's such a big problem. Now I see. But also <laughs> the bigger problem is that sometimes if it thinks the door is open, it leaves the light on, which runs down the battery if you leave it mm. for a long time. So I just found the part on Amazon. It's coming tonight, and I will be replacing it. I think it'll take approximately three minutes, and then our car will be as good as new. Love it. What's new with you? So I have been really loving reading chapter books with HP. This is so awesome. I can't wait to get to this stage with Plum. Yes. So we did a Raising Readers episode back in the fall, and I revealed that while I do read to my children daily, it is not my favorite activity I think some of that is just the repetitive nature of when they're really little, that they love to read the same books over and over. Mm, And mm -hmm. even when you're getting books that you really enjoy, it can still feel tiresome. Yeah. At least to me, just being honest. But reading chapter books has been so fun. Sometimes he'll ask Neil to read in the evening. And I'm like, oh, no, wait, can't I do that? I don't want to miss any chapters. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Or I'll go back and like read some of the chapters myself if I have missed them, if I've been out for an evening and Neil's putting him to bed. But Uh I have not felt this much enthusiasm about reading with my children really ever. So that part's been really fun. Also that he's reading some books from my childhood. Mm. Like he's very into the boxcar children right now, which I loved those books. Yes, me too. I will say reading them now as an adult the gender roles feel very problematic interesting the girls are excellent housekeepers and Mm. always quiet and doing things and we're reading the blue bay mystery right now and there's only so many fishing poles oh that's no problem says the grandfather the girls will just watch while the boys fish Ooh, yeah lots of those kind of things that i'm like ooh, this isn't my favorite that's not something I picked up on reading them as a kid, which actually is even more problematic. Right? 
So I'm not quite sure how to approach it. Some of it I change, like with the fishing one, when the grandfather said it was no problem. I was like, it's no problem. They'll take turns. Love it. But some of it feels a little bit harder that Jesse's role is as a housekeeper and cooking and planning. Mm-hmm. Still loving it, but curious how many of the books of my childhood I'm going to feel similarly about Mm. on a reread a generation later. Well, there's only more of that coming. So it's good that you're enjoying it. And also interesting to see what happens with how well the old books hold up. And I would love if listeners of school-age children have great chapter books to recommend that I should be reading with my kid. Well, to continue talking about books, let's share what adult books we've been reading. So I just listened to We're Going to Need More Wine by Gabrielle Union, and this is another celebrity memoir, but I loved this book. And it is a celebrity memoir, but it feels like more than that. So her voice as she's writing is really strong, really authentic. She reads the audiobook, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And she gets really real about her experiences with her family, with privacy as an actress, with being black and a woman in Hollywood. It felt like a really important read at the place where I am in my ongoing education and understanding about race and also delved into issues that I was less familiar with, like colorism. There's also plenty of humor. I just really recommend this book for most people. It is entertaining, but it is more than fluff. She does discuss infertility and her own rape. So watch out for that if that could be a trigger for folks, but definitely worth a read. What have you been reading, Sarah? So I just finished Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran. And this was recommended to me by someone in my book club. It is nonfiction and it covers the Osage Reign of Terror, which prior to reading this book, I knew absolutely nothing about. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Let me fill you in. So the Osage people were forced to move on to a reservation in Kansas, but then white people came and started squatting on their land and pushed them out. And so they moved to this territory in Oklahoma. And one reason they moved there is they said, this is rocky, terrible place. No one's going to bother us here and kick us out again. So they bought the land and they also put in that they own the rights to any oil, minerals, resources under the ground. Mm -hmm. It turns out they were sitting on massive stores of oil. Mm. And so drilling happened and they became incredibly wealthy. In the book, it says in the 1920s, they were the wealthiest people per capita in the world. Wow. Well, as I'm sure people can imagine, that did not sit well with many white people. And he tells the story from the perspective of Molly Burkhart, which is an Osage woman who is married to a white man, and her family started dying unnaturally. Mm -hmm. And other people in the community were also being killed. Eventually, the FBI is brought in. It's a rebooted FBI under J. Edgar Hoover. Mm -hmm. And so the first part kind of chronicles these killings. The second part chronicles the investigation. And then the third part talks about how much the investigation missed and how much more was there. I just really appreciated knowing about something in our history that I had never heard about or Mm -hmm. known anything about. And why aren't we reckoning with this darker side of our history and what that means for us as a country? Yeah. I found the material incredibly compelling and loved that, but I 
didn't love the writing style. Hmm. I can find this descriptive nonfiction kind of annoying, honestly, where it's trying to paint the picture in a way that to me, I just think you can't know those details. Hmm. And I know it's supposed to be drawing me in, Hmm. but sometimes that pushes me away, I think. That said, the story was gripping. And in a lot of ways, it reads like a mystery where Mm. you're slowly finding out more and you're learning about the investigation as it goes through and you're trying to figure out who is responsible. And I really enjoyed that structure of the narrative as well. So would you recommend it? I would recommend it. I think it's important to know about and was a really enjoyable read. Now let's move on to our main segment for today, which is about getting outside. Let's start by sharing our family's values around getting outside and experiencing nature. We like being outside in our family, but we mostly focus on getting outside close by. So around our house, we have an awesome backyard and also incorporating the being outside with getting where we need to go. So walking Mm -hmm. or putting plum in the stroller. We are not doing a whole lot of hiking or camping or more typically outdoorsy stuff right now. We enjoy all those things, and Andrew and I have definitely done them in the past together, and he's done a lot even more hiking and backpacking than I have. Mm -hmm. But right now, it feels more important to me to be able to get somewhere quickly, preferably without getting in the car, than to be in sort of an ideal, pristine outdoor space. We're lucky that we have nature trails and parks close by. And we may do more hiking this summer because I think Plum is getting to that point where she can walk on her own and is excited. And obviously that wouldn't be, you know, super intense hiking, but I think that she would really enjoy being on trails. And I think as she grows up and gets more autonomy and more physical endurance, that'll just be more fun for all of us. I think that our families are in a very similar position right now. It is very important to us that our kids are outside every day and have lots of opportunities for open-ended exploration in nature. But right now, that looks more like being in our backyard or the local park or seeing things as we're biking along and talking about the birds we're seeing or watching the plants bloom. Right. As opposed to going out, like you're saying, to this more idealized experience of what it means to be in nature and away from it all. Yeah. Because I think the nature we're experiencing is much more integrated with our daily life. Mm -hmm. And that is not to say that we wouldn't enjoy more of those other kinds of experiences. Right. But with having young kids, it feels like a lot more work to do that. Yes. I also feel like when we have done those, they're not getting more enjoyment out of that than they are from the smaller things. And it's so much more work on our part. Exactly. (laughs) I look forward to when that is not the case because... We have always loved doing outdoor things together. I feel like when Neil and I first met, we did a lot of that in Arkansas. We did Mm -hmm. it in Oregon. And I think it really appeals to our frugal nature in a lot of ways that it's free. You're just outside going on a walk. Uh (laughs) For the kids, I love how there are endless things for them to do, that it allows them to be creative in this way where I never hear them talking about being bored when we're outside. Right but also not overstimulating, Mm. where a lot of activities for kids, my kids enjoy them, but it just gets to be a lot by the time we're done Mm -hmm. and can lead to more problems later, where I never feel like that when we're outside together. Awesome. As I think we've both alluded to a little bit, 
being able to experience nature can come in conflict with other parts of our lives. Yeah. Can you talk about those competing priorities and how you have come to balance them? We've talked a lot on the podcast about how much the choices about where we live are part of our values as a family. Mm-hmm. Thinking about getting outside, there are things that we love about it, but I don't think that we are people who will ever live in a rural setting. While I really love trips where we're out in the woods, maybe with friends, maybe just with us, but you know, you can walk right out the door and go on a hike or something like that. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of vacation. That is probably my ideal vacation, honestly, especially at this stage of my life. Same. But thinking about doing that and living rurally full time, that's just not something that I think we'll ever do because we so value not having to get in the car on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you're living out in the country or out in the woods, that that's just not an option unless you mostly just want to stay home. I wish that there were more places where you could feel like you were in the woods or feel like you were living with all this open space around you. But it seems like the price you pay for being able to walk to the grocery store is that you have neighbors really close. Didn't we talk about that on the community episode, how your dream is to live on a farm in walking distance to downtown? Yes. (laughs) Or something similar. Exactly. (laughs) That would be my ideal And I'll echo what you said in that Neil's parents spent a big chunk of their lives on a 50-acre wooded property in Arkansas. Which is gorgeous. (laughs) It is. It's amazing. HP just loved going there. He was in heaven when he can just walk out the door, be in the woods exploring. Right. And I appreciated that, too. It was a beautiful piece of land, and I love having nature that close. And as much as I think Neil appreciated what that offered him when he was at home, we still really want to be able to walk and bike where we go. Yeah. I think that offers a different chance to experience nature and experience those small things and be connected to your community. So while living in town is not the same as if we had 50 acres of land for our kids to explore daily, I think we are able to incorporate it in these more subtle, everyday ways. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I've really appreciated about having the kids is I think they've shown me how to see our environment with new eyes. And it's not that jaw-dropping, stunning, we're in the mountains in Colorado beauty, Mm -hmm. but it's still there if you're looking for it and making time for it. Well, what about when you were growing up? What are your memories and experiences of being outside and reflecting back on how your family valued that? We were outside a medium amount, I think consistent with growing up in the suburbs of Dallas. I definitely played in the creek and did naturey stuff. We went to camp, mm-hmm. but we also did a lot inside. It was hot for a lot of the year. That changed for me around the end of middle school, early high school, because we moved houses and then we lived in a house where we built a pool and we had this amazing huge yard. And then our pool was sort of in the back corner with all these trees up around it. And there was a creek running behind that house. And so it was a little bit more enjoyable than sort of the subdivision we'd been in before. It was a lot nicer to be outside right there, Mm -hmm. which was awesome. And so we spent a lot of our time outside in the pool during the summer, doing fire pits, year round and had a lot of like cool wildlife close by. I did a lot of similar things just 
being outside with neighborhood kids and there mm-hmm. was a creek in the neighborhood and we'd go there and play for hours on end. Right. There was a stand of trees behind our friend's house and we'd be there and pretend like we were the boxcar children or <laughs> children out on our own surviving in the wilderness. I don't remember it being an explicit priority. It's just like, yeah, kids are outside. That's a thing you do as a kid. Right. And I do think it's something that my parents tried to incorporate, especially my mom, in terms of our vacations, that we did a lot of the national parks and seeing beautiful places in the country more than going to cities. Mm. I honestly don't have very many memories of vacations in cities. Hmm. We did a lot of long road trips, but the stops were more scenic in nature. And that's the kind of vacations I also want to offer my kids. Right. Are there things that your family is not doing in terms of getting outside that you wish that you were doing? Or are there ways that you see that evolving as your kids get older? We would love to do bigger trips when Plum is older. We have friends who walked the Camino de Santiago, which is this Mm. big trail in France and Spain. And how I understand it is it's hard because you walk a lot, but it's not hard in terms of elevation and terrain. Right. So I think that would be a really good long hike to do with kids once we've done shorter backpacking trips and they're a little bit older. Mm-hmm. I think it would be an amazing experience. I really want to do that. Yes. Where we are now, we're really close to the Appalachian Trail. So we would love to do some of that hiking. Thinking about experiences for Plum on her own, as we've talked about before, I worked at a summer camp that's in Western North Carolina. And I think she would really love to go there when she's big enough. And I love the idea of sleepaway camp in terms of the independence that you cultivate while you're there and the social experiences as well as the outdoorsy stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I think, if it seems like a good fit for her, that we'll definitely do. I also see us being able to do more of what I think of when I think of being out in nature right. when the kids are older. But right now our nature is the dandelions in our front yard and the trees at the park. But being able to go camping and be able to hike more than a few hundred yards at any given time. Right. (laughs) And with less whining, hopefully, although I'm not really (laughs) sure that that is a realistic expectation. Don't hold your breath. (laughs) And just doing more family vacations that are centered around our family experiencing being outside. Mm Mm-hmm. It is something I really enjoyed about the road trip my mom and I took to Oregon last year was stopping at national parks and getting to do some of that with the kids and seeing how much they loved it. Mm. And that's only going to get easier over time. Right. E was still in diapers then and napping half the days. And just a year later, it feels like it's going to be even easier. And even with all that work, it was still fun then. Beyond that, I'd love to do more small camping trips and canoeing trips and things close by. Mm -hmm. Right now, especially with home renovations, Mm. I feel like they're a major time suck in our lives. Yeah. That our weekends are eaten up by that. And I'm hoping that even just starting this summer, being able to really prioritize on the weekends, making time for those nearby adventures that we can do with the kids Maybe even some one-on-one stuff that their yeah. stuff HP could do that E would not be interested in and doing that while E is with the grandparents or HP doing it with the grandparents because they also love being outside. Right. So we've talked a lot about how we feel about being outside and where that fits into our family life. But what about the other members of your family? So Plum loves being outside. 
the easiest way to circumvent challenging behavior is to suggest that we go outside. Mm-hmm. She loves spotting things like flowers and wildlife. She loves interacting with people in outdoor spaces. I'd say she's a huge fan. Because we haven't tried sort of the bigger camping and hiking, I'm not quite sure how that's going to go for her. Mm -hmm. But my guess is that she'll be game. Andrew also enjoys being outside. I think he and I both put it at a similar priority level, though, which is only medium high. We are happy to be outside around the fire pit at our house, but we're not making a huge effort to do more than that, at least at this stage. And also, I think that's a season of our life, as we've already said. I think the same for me and Neil in terms of we value it, but not the part that's really hard right now. Right. (laughs) So we don't value it enough to jump through the hoops for those experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think Neil will be very excited once they're both in elementary school doing more of the camping and outdoorsy type activities. Yeah. But that right now we'd rather pass and walk to our local park and enjoy nature there. Right. And in terms of the kids... HP loves it. If he could, he would live outside in our backyard. (laughs) If we had a little tent for him and an outdoor kitchen area, he would just never come inside. He's a little different, and I'm curious to see how that develops as she gets older, because we are outside so much as a family Uh that I'm curious whether it's an age thing for her right now in terms of how she feels about it, or if it's personality And how much of that is innate that some kids just don't enjoy that as much as other children? Mm -hmm. And how much of that is just the comparison with HP, who is really on one end of loving it? Yeah. Because it's not as though she doesn't like being outside. She plays outside all the time. But noticing it in comparison, there does seem to be a significant difference in their enthusiasm. Interesting. So one thing I have learned more about in recent years is the concept of a nature school, Mm -hmm. which for those who don't know, it's preschool, but outside the whole time in all weather. So what are your thoughts about that schooling model? My aspirational self would send Plum to forest school with her waterproof pants and hat, regardless of weather. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure that's really who I am. Mm. We are very happy with her preschool, which has a lot of outdoor time, has a great play area, a sandbox and a climbing thing and a garden and stumps to jump off of. But it's more about playing in their yard and working right there. And it really parallels the outdoor choices we're making in our home life as well. Right. That they're not taking the kids on creek walks. They're just letting them do their own thing right there where it's more convenient, honestly. They go outside in many weathers, but they do have a really nice indoor space as well that they use. And so I think while I've thought that forest school would be my ideal, Mm -hmm. I think in reality, it looks a lot more like making the more convenient and easy choice Mm -hmm. than, like you said, jumping through the hoops. Yes. To give the kids that very intense outdoors experience. Every time I hear about nature school, I think, yes, absolutely. I want my kids to go. (laughs) And then I look into the logistics of making that happen, and it feels really overwhelming Mm -hmm. and dampens my enthusiasm very quickly. (laughs) The reality is that we would have to drive to said forest schools Mm -hmm. or the nature school opportunities that are available near us 
And I'm sure we could make that work with some kind of carpooling, car borrowing situation, mm-hmm. but it feels like a lot to do. And I'm just not willing to commit because I do think our kids are getting outdoor experiences, not at that level. And mm-hmm. I'm sure not as amazing as that would be, but it's not as though the choice is only being inside or being in forest school. Right. And I think that we can provide a lot of those opportunities, but man, makes me want to move to Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's wrap up by sharing any resources we would recommend in terms of inspiration or practical items for making getting outside with kids a reality in your life. The first that I have to share are Sunday afternoons hats. Yes, love them. I think we've talked about it on the pod before. If we haven't, we should have. I don't think so, because we meant to do it on the perfect thing episode, and we both forgot. Right. Because it is the perfect thing. It is the perfect (laughs) thing. So these are hats that I heard about from you. They are amazing. They're UV protective. They have them for kids and adults in all the sizes. And one thing that I really love about them is that the brims have foam in them, Mm -hmm. so they don't flop into their eyes. Yes. So when Plum was really little, I feel like other hats that I tried were always in her face and she was too little to have the motor control to like, you know, lift up the brim or whatever. But this hat, you put it on and it just stays up Mm -hmm. and perfectly shades her face, but is not in the way, which means that she left it on more often. Mm -hmm. They also have a really good strap. If your child is a hat taker offer, Mm -hmm. that can be hard for them to do. So they are more likely to stay on for that reason, too. And then we also have some waterproof pants for Plum that she wore in the snow this winter. Mm. They're great for just putting on over regular clothes. They have stirrups on the bottom so that they stay down over the shoes. Mm -hmm. And they have been a great thing to have. Those are something I have heard about but have not yet invested in. But I'm looking at them now and want to buy some. They're like an overall bib and they're not that pricey and they're going to fit her forever because we got the really big ones to go over the clothes. Very smart. The last resource that I want to mention is something that I haven't tried yet because there's not one as close to us as I would like, but that I've heard about in the area of North Carolina where we live. And that's free forest school. Hmm. And it's basically a parent volunteer-led playgroup in the woods. And they have them all over the U.S. If there's not one near you, you can start one. And so we'll link to their website in the show notes so you can check out what it is. But it's basically you just take your kid to play in the woods with other kids for an hour or two, and all the other parents are there. So it supervises more like a playgroup than school. Mm -hmm. But it's something nice because it's a little more formal that if you need an incentive to get out and do it, that hopefully someone else already has one set up close by. I like that. So I have two books to recommend. The first one is Last Child in the Woods by Richard Louvre. And I read this one a couple years ago. And he talks about the importance of kids being outside and really just humans being outside. Mm -hmm. But that over the last generation, it used to be much more that neighborhood kids would go play in an outdoor space on their own once they reached a certain age and that that is happening less and that some of those spaces are less available than they used to be as well. I found it really inspiring for seeing that nature in the everyday. And Mm. he even talked about how it's really special for kids to have their own place. And it doesn't need to be the spectacular place that 
the little stand of trees at the end of the street or the nearby creek that's very small and dry most of the time, that Mm. when kids have a place that they can go to repeatedly and watch it change in the seasons and feel some sense of ownership over, that for kids in some ways having that smaller, more accessible part can be really powerful for them Mm. as they're developing. And it also touches on a lot of the research how we as humans are calmed by being in nature and a lot of the health benefits and mental health benefits of being in nature, both for kids and adults. Reading it made me want to recommit to how am I getting outside? How am I experiencing nature? And I think that's something that can kind of get pushed to the side with our Mm. everyday responsibilities. And it made me want to recommit to finding that for everyone in our family. Nice. The second one is one I just read earlier this year, and it's called There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather by Linda Aikson McGurk. And she is someone who grew up in Sweden, and she actually now lives in Indiana. She married a man from rural Indiana. And the book is part memoir, part commentary and comparison of parenting in the United States and Sweden. Hmm. So she's raising her kids here, but then she ends up going back to Sweden for six months with her kids. And talking about the way the school system there approaches nature and the way the whole culture approaches nature and how much a part of the national identity it is in Sweden Mm -hmm. and how the laws are different about things related to nature and being in nature there versus the U.S. Interesting. Really, when I finished it, I was like, okay, we're moving to Sweden. Looked for jobs (laughs) there. I mean, (laughs) which is just what I do. And then I move on to my regular life afterwards. It did make me feel like we're really missing something here in our school system, and Mm. we've really let something go that we shouldn't have. I think there's lots of reasons for that. But even though we will not be moving to Sweden to experience that educational system, she even mentions waterproof clothes, similar to what you're describing, and just having the gear to be out in all weather. That it's not, oh, now it's summer or spring and we can finally be outside, but Mm. you're outside all year long. You just need to have the appropriate equipment to make that happen. So both those books are great for just inspiration and a desire to recommit to seeking out nature in your everyday life. Nice. Well, I think that's the end of our discussion for today. But listeners, we'd love to hear how you experience nature as a kid and how you are now doing that with your family and where and how you find the time to get outside. Let's end as we always do by sharing something we've been eating. So I have a two-parter this time. Haven't really been making a lot of new recipes. (laughs) So I've attended a couple potlucks recently, and I've been really enjoying just going to the grocery store before, buying lots of produce and things, Mm. and then having a real snacky situation. So we've done that both with our contribution to potlucks and then also some nights when I just can't deal with the fact that we all need to eat multiple times a day every day of my life. Yes. Then just grabbing all this stuff. And now that the weather's nice, being able to be outside and have a picnic in the backyard or the park and have less cleanup and less prep and just having it be simple. Nice. I also wanted to have a follow-up on the chocolate mousse recipe that you shared a couple of weeks ago. Yes. So over Mother's Day weekend, I thought, I want to eat some chocolate mousse. So go get all the ingredients, making chocolate mousse on Saturday night. I'm sure Neil would have made it for me if I had asked, but I do not like other people to make my desserts because I want to be able to lick the bowl myself. (laughs) So just being honest, he did clean up all of the dishes, of which there were many because I saw the recipe, saw that it said four to six servings, and I thought, 
that's not enough. Oh my gosh. So (laughs) I doubled the recipe. Turns out that is a lot of chocolate mousse. I had to twice switch up to a larger bowl because when I was folding things in together, it was overflowing the container in which I had put things. That's hilarious. So I was able to enjoy it for many days, but in the future, a single recipe would have been sufficient and would have made a lot. But it's tricky because they only said four to six servings and I do like a lot of dessert. (laughs) What have you been eating? I also wanted to share about a dessert that a friend and podcast listener made for me Mm. after my birthday. And it's called Filipino Leche Flan. And it is the amazing, creamiest, most delicious caramely flan you've ever had in your life. You know, I was not a huge fan of flan as a younger kid because it felt always kind of rubbery to me. Mm -hmm. But this flan is amazing. Melt in your mouth. We have the recipe, which we can share in the show notes. I've had it twice, once at a party at these friends' house, and then once when she made me a whole flan. I shared some of it with Andrew. Mostly I ate the whole thing myself. (laughs) As you should. It was so good. So that's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Sarah, and with all of you listeners. You can find us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or email us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. I'm going to try it again. (laughs) One more time.